Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 30 of Conquering Columbus. Can't believe we've made it already into 30 weeks of Conquering Columbus episodes. Today on the show, we've got a really great guest. His name is Brennan Kelly, and he's the VP and co-founder over at Trash Cab LLC. They're doing some really great things here in central Ohio to help make it easier for communities to recycle. But we'll talk more about that here in a minute. Uh, Before the show, if you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus and all the cool guests we have from around the city. We also want to take the time to make sure to thank our amazing sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH and all the cool things they do, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. And I want to give a shout out to another one of our supporters, Max Effort Muscle. For those of you guys who aren't familiar with Max Effort Muscle, they're a nutritional supplement company that just recently launched, supplier of cutting-edge nutritional supplements. Some of their current products include pre-workout, post-workout, and fat burner. Uh, Mike and I just recently started using the pre-workout, and it's awesome. Best thing is, they're supplements with ingredients you can understand. Nothing's hidden behind some proprietary blend, and you don't know what's in it. Not to mention the company was started and is run by some local Central Ohio athletes that Mike and I know very well, and uh, we can trust to deliver high-quality product aimed at providing value rather than just making a buck, which is really hard to find in the supplement industry these days. And if you want to find out more about the company, the team behind it, the store behind the company, which is pretty cool, or their offerings, check out maxeffortmuscle.com. Our final shout-out of the day goes out to Procure Clean. Procure Clean, the official disinfectant deodorizer for USA Wrestling, is a chlorine dioxide product and has quickly become the leading disinfectant on the market. Uh, they got a patented drop-and-go system and allows users just to add water and place it on whatever they want to disinfect for 30 seconds to eliminate everything from MRSA, staph, and ringworm, Tampatigo, and herpes, just to name a few. Procure Clean leaves no chemical footprint, is eco-friendly, and food-grade safe. The only preventable injury in sports is a skin ailment, so let Procure Clean keep your facilities clean and your athletes in their sport. Hey, if you want to learn more about Procure Clean, please contact sales at procureclean.com. That's P-R-O-K-U-R-K-L-E-A-N.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. All right, Conquerors, let's get this episode rolling. drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conquering Columbus. On this episode, we have Brennan Kelly of Trash Cab. I'm going to kick it over to my co-host, Mike Minucci. 
and let him give you guys some background on Brennan and Trash Cab. Hey there, Conkers. Hope you have a good day today. And uh, today we got Brennan on the podcast, and he's the vice president and co-founder of Trash Cab LLC, and it's a recycling-based company here in Columbus. And Trash Cab builds unique recycling plans tailored to the needs of specific communities and apartment complexes. And their goal is to make recycling as convenient as possible in order to help promote environmentally friendly policies. And he got his uh, BBA in accounting at Notre Dame, Notre Dame College before making his way to Columbus. And uh, welcome to Concrete Columbus, Brennan. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on today. So how's your day going? Oh, not too bad. Uh, kind of end on a high note with you guys. Uh, <laughs> something I've been looking forward to all day, so... Yeah, ready to roll. We don't hear that from a lot of guests, so that's good. I was going to say, you were looking forward to it, but now, you know, we'll see how you feel at the end of it. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) So it's kind of, uh, and let's kick things off at the beginning and get a little bit of background on you and just talk about, um, you got your degree in accounting from Notre Dame and talk about what that was like and why you chose Notre Dame and then um, kind of your road from there to getting to here. Yeah, um, you know, unlike a lot of people who go to Notre Dame, I was not a lifelong fan. Um, I actually went to... A, uh, a diving camp there the summer before my senior year of high school um, was kind of forced to go by my mom and um, got to the end of camp and my mom just surprisingly showed up and wanted to take a tour and uh, you know I, even at that point I wasn't really into it but I kind of went along for the ride took a tour with my mom and um, after the tour I looked at her and I said this is where I'm going to go to school um, just absolutely fell in love with the place um, and kind of the rest is history. I, I applied to one school, and that's where I went. Wow. One school application, huh? Yeah. I kinda, Not kinda what they recommend. Out. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bold move. Yeah, and they have a beautiful campus, I heard, too. Like, their buildings are just really great architecture and things like that. So yeah. I'm assuming it's probably a pretty easy sell. Yeah. Um, the campus is amazing. You get a real uh, sense of community. It's, you know, one of the things I loved about it is that it's enclosed. Um, you know, there are no streets or towns running through the middle of campus so you almost feel like you're secluded kind of from the rest of the world and that's pretty cool mm-hmm. and did you do any athletics once you were there or uh, I did diving for one year um struggled with some injuries and you know wasn't as passionate about diving as, as I thought I was so um kind of gave it up after that but didn't change my opinion of the school right you know when you're not passionate about a thing like that like you have to I think that's one thing that I've noticed with a lot of people who put a lot of work in things is you have to be passionate about it, mm-hmm. otherwise it's just gonna it's gonna wear you out. Yeah, and especially at the collegiate level. I mean, you guys know uh, it's like having a another job, working out at six in the morning and going to class, and then working out after class. And if you're not into it, then you're just gonna wear yourself out. Yeah, so you chose accounting for your major when mm-hmm. you were in at, um, at Notre Dame. And so what led you to uh, go into accounting? Did you, did you just like numbers? Are you a big numbers guy? Or, uh, you yeah, know? I was always a big numbers guy. Um, I actually started school um, planning to major in applied mathematics. Um, got through my freshman year and kind of thought, what am I going to do with a major in applied mathematics? Josh is a theoretical man. Great man. You could so, start a podcast. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't figure that he didn't figure that out until after college, and he's like, what am I doing now? <laughs> yeah, I paid for mine first. <laughs> I said, oh, crap, I messed up. <laughs> Reverse. Okay, well, um, no, but I just, you know, I, I wanted, I guess, maybe a little bit more of, um, uh, I don't know, a traditional career path. My, my dad's a CPA. My sister was a CPA. Um, you know, I tooled around with finance, international business a little bit, but at the end of the day, I was most comfortable in accounting. It made the most sense to me in the intro classes, and... Um, 
it, it kind of just fell into place for me. Mm-hmm. And did you realize the value, or I guess I should ask, do you feel like it's brought you a lot of value? And I don't want to skip too far ahead, but in owning your own business now and running a business and seeing the back end of things. Yeah, and, and even when I chose accounting as a major, I never really wanted to go work for a big four firm or, or be a CPA. I really was doing it for the background in, in the business and knowing how to run a business and just kind of knowing the ins and outs of everything. So I think knowing that ahead of time, I could kind of use the accounting degree in, in the way in which I needed to. So you always knew someday you, you wanted to start your own business? It was in the back of my mind. Um, you know, I tooled around with, you know, kind of using a business and, and law dual degree Um I didn't know that if it would lead to actually starting my own business, um, you know, this early in my career, um, thought about sports agency a little bit, but, you know, I knew I I wasn't the type of person that was going to go to downtown Chicago, downtown New York and work for, you know, a a big fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. So you get done with your college career and then you kind of ventured off and then did you go right into construction or did you take any um, hiatuses in between? Uh, I took a, um, year, did one year of law school at Capitol. Um, kind of got just burnt out from school in general, was ready to get out and start working. Um, so that's when I met um, the person who hired me at Hanley Rinaldi Construction. Um, started working there in 2006 um, and worked there for five years before coming over here to Trash Cab. Okay. Yep. And then kind of talk about your responsibilities there and what you learned. I mean, that was obviously probably your first real career job. Yeah. And how that prepared you for what you're doing now. Yeah, I was kind of a, a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades um, over at Hanley Rinaldi. Uh, kind of led into handling all of their contracts, both their you know subcontracts with um, you know the trade contractors as well as our owner contracts with our um, with our customers. We are a uh, commercial general contractor, so we're building retail stores and restaurants, things like that. Um, and my focus was basically writing, drafting, approving all of our contracts within the company. Absolutely. So, and how does that help you? You know, nowadays when you learn what you learn from writing those contracts and being the kind of the, the jack of all trades, does that help you now as the owner of the business? Yeah, I mean, it really opened my eyes. Um, unfortunately, to you know what can go wrong, uh, you know, in, in business relationships, and it it kind of um, you know put my antennas up at all times to make sure you know when you're starting your own business, especially when it's yourself, it's on the line. Um, you know, our contracts are written the way that we need them to be written and you know we have the language in there that we need to have um and i got all that from my experience at handler rinaldi you know whether it was protecting ourselves through the contract or you know fighting you know with a, a subcontractor that had an issue with our contract but um having that experience was was invaluable for me yeah it almost seems like you've covered you know and, and i could be completely wrong on this but when i try to categorize different um, I guess verticals of business in my head. I think you have the back end, which are the numbers and the accounting. You mm-hmm. have the managing of people and your mm-hmm. jobs and projects, and then you have to sell it. Mm-hmm. And it's like you have the numbers background down at this point. You have mm-hmm. the managing of people and projects down, mm-hmm. and then you just have to really move forward and start selling things. Yeah. You know? So absolutely, um, that's kind of a cool concept. So talk about when you were working there, and then when the idea of Trash Cab came to you, mm-hmm. and what that evolution process was like. Yeah. So. Um, I've been working there about five years, um, and my uh, boss, who was the owner of Hanley Rinaldi, his son had this idea. Um, he was living in, a, in an apartment community at the time, and uh, there was one central dumpster compactor for the entire apartment complex, so like 420 units. 
um, and he was on the opposite side of the property. So every time he had to take his trash out, he either had to carry it over his back, put it on top of his car, put it in his trunk. Sometimes it leaks and, you know, smells. So, you know, he kind of thought, why isn't there a company that would come to my doorstep, take my trash for me, take it to the dumpster? Um, and so they came to me and said, hey, we have this idea. Uh, we want you to try to get it off the ground and execute with us. Um, it kind of went from there. Um, and it actually started as a trash valet company and, and later evolved into recycling. Um, you know, kind of once we realized that that was actually a need that needed to be met. Mm-hmm. Trash cab. It makes sense. You know, it's a yeah. cab for your trash. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's Mike's whole line for the episode. <laughs> there he is. That's all I'm saying. We won't cut that out. I'm going to let Josh keep talking. So you get the idea, and but you're working currently. Did he? Did your boss encourage you to branch off and say, hey, man, this is a company that we create. I'll fund it. Yeah. And, and okay. That's yeah, talk yeah. About. And that's what made the decision easy for me is, you know, the two of them were very supportive. Um, they let me kind of gradually exit from Hanley Rinaldi and start with Trash Cab to, you know, it was maybe a, a few month process before I was over here full time. Mm-hmm. Um, but having that support, you know, both in their confidence in me to do it as well as their, you know, financial support was, you know, made that decision easier for me. And were you the first person they turned to, or did they take it to anybody else? As far as I know. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're not going to let you know uh, that. The honestly. first person to say yes. I hope they wouldn't tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, so, talk a little bit about the early stage of the operation, and like, first, you know, your first ideas of how you were going to get this done, mm-hmm. and the process of designing Trash Cab. Yeah. Um, you know, the first... You know, a few months of Trash Cab and Trash Cab of today are, are completely different companies. You wouldn't even recognize it. Um, like I said, we started um, as a trash valet company. Um, not, I mean, we kind of offered recycling, but it wasn't our, our main service. And we were targeting individual apartments. So we would go knock on a door and say, hey, do you want us to do this for you? And that person would pay us directly. And what we found, you know, over the first few months is that we were going to Dublin for a couple guys. We were going to Arlington for a couple apartments. We were going to New Albany for a couple apartments. And um, the business model just didn't work. We were driving all over town for pennies. Um, So we kind of switched our focus and said, instead of um, calling on individual apartment renters, we need to talk to the big management companies, um, you know, the, the property managers, the big developers, and get them on board for an entire property, an entire you know community of 200, 400 units. Um, and once we did that, we started pushing the recycling aspect of the business a lot more. Um, it seemed to gain a lot more traction than than just a trash valet. Um, you know, especially five years ago, we're just kind of starting to climb out of the recession a little bit. You know, there's not a lot of extra money going around for you know non necessary. Um, amenities. So the recycling aspect was really what grabbed people's attention. And were you juggling this in your evenings, or did you just branch off the minute it started and then go full go? Um, as far as my time, yeah, yeah. As soon as we were full go at trash cab, I was I was over here, you know, forty hours a week. Okay. Um, and actually, we we did start out doing it as a nighttime service. Mm-hmm. So you know, I was spending a few weeks. You know, the first year, Teddy, my partner, and I, we were the ones driving the truck and doing all the pickups. Um, and those were nighttime pickups. But um, we, again, evolving from that first concept five years ago, we're now doing 95% of our collections are during the day. Uh, we have a crew of five drivers um, that work for us and do all that for us. 
awesome. I love it. The the hustling around at night, just trying to start a business. It's yeah. You know, it's it's one of those cool stories that you hear where it's, you know people start a business and they just go out and do whatever it ha- takes to get it going and off the ground. And I I love that kind of story. So, uh, what were some of the early difficulties though outside of hey I have to go every night I get home from work and take out other people's trash. Yeah. Um, the biggest difficulty really is, you know, Columbus is not on the cutting edge when it comes to recycling in the city. I mean, we just got, you know, curbside recycling for single family homes a few years ago. So, you know, when we launched Trash Cab, there wasn't even that single family home service in the city. So going into a large apartment community and offering something that really didn't exist um, was a hard sell and trying to convince them that it's a service that they should have, that their residents want, um, that, Hey, eventually you're actually going to be required to offer this in some form or another, um, which is actually the case in the mayor's uh, 2020 green plan. Um, but they weren't looking that far down the road. It was, you know, especially, like I said, five years ago, it comes down to the bottom line. Um, and if they think it's going to cost money, then it's just that much harder to sell. And what does that sales pitch sound like today? Is it kind of similar to what you just said? It's a little similar. And, um, you know, a lot of it is education um, and educating both the the end consumer, the apartment renter, as well as the property manager that, you know, this is something that they should have, that they need. And one of the biggest misconceptions about adding a service like this is that it's going to, you know, double their waste costs. They think, oh, well, you know, I pay X to have my trash taken away. If I had recycling, I'm going to have to pay 2x. Well, what they don't understand is just because you offer recycling services, your your residents aren't going to magically double the amount of waste they produce. They're going to take some of the stuff they were throwing in the trash can, now it's going to go in the recycling bin. And now you no longer have to pay to have that trash all the way because we're taking it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it ends up being a net wash. And at the same time, you get to offer a great service. So isn't it difficult, though, going to these property managers who are – handling things, probably break, fix items, things like that, routine maintenance, and telling them, hey, now I want you to convince them to change their um, trash habits and, and who they're... And then do they have to go and convince the end user, or they just say, hey, this is how you guys are doing it, and it's getting done? Yeah, you know, usually they don't really have to convince the end user or their residents. You know, most of them are in a position to say, hey, whatever we say goes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just convincing them to, you know, to kind of dive in headfirst into a program. Um, you know, it, it's never easy to add a new service, to set up a new vendor. Um, you know, half the time they're trying to chase down rent checks and, um, you know, just keep their property running. And so adding a new service is, you know, rarely a priority for them. Um, so we just have to be persistent. We really have to convince them that, um, your residents want this, you know, we say you can charge higher rents. You, you know, you add this service, you're getting a value out of it. It's not just like something like electricity that people just it's a necessity or that you know people expect um, right out the gate. So um, you know, it's it's a luxury amenity that you can charge a premium for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know. And you mentioned earlier, actually, and I've been thinking about this for a little bit because I'm from San Diego, and you mentioned that Columbus wasn't on the cutting edge. And I remember when I was in high school we had like four different trash cans mm-hmm. you know and you had to recycle you know plastic bags go here and paper mm-hmm. goes here and then and compost and everything else so do you run into that sort of problem here in Columbus um, no you know for as kind of far behind the recycling ball as we are 
Um, the one good thing about Columbus I found is, you know, everything is single stream for the most part. Um, and that's kind of the other big thing. If you want to get somebody to recycle, you need to make it easy for them. You need to make it convenient. If it's not convenient and it's not easy, they're just going to throw it in the trash because that's easy. So, you know, offering a single stream um, program where they can throw their plastic and their glass and their paper and their, uh, you know, metal cans all in the same bin. And if it's right next to the trash can, that's easy enough to do. So, um, you know, that's kind of another point we try to sell is we're, we're the ones doing the hard work. We're collecting it. We're getting rid of it for you. We're just going to give you a bin. You throw it in that bin, and we'll take care of the rest. So you guys aren't even dealing with the normal trash anymore at all? It's just simply the recycled bucket that you guys are... About 90% for. of our business is recycling. We do a little bit of the valet trash mm-hmm. um, in, in special situations. Um, you know, there are certain properties that just have a need, you know, based on the uh, the layout of their buildings or mm-hmm. you know, something like that, where they need some sort of valet trash service. But um, our focus is recycling. And if they don't go valet trash and they're just sticking with those dumpster units then mm-hmm. outside of the apartments? Yep. Okay. So, just a question that occurred to me just now is, have you ever, what's the weirdest thing you ever found in your recycling bins? Oh, man. You know, you learn, I don't know if we've found anything truly out of the ordinary. Um, <laughs> you, you can learn so much about somebody based on what they throw in their trash. I, I would say the, the weirdest thing we saw is, you know, we have one community of condominiums or one and two bedroom condominiums. Every single week, this one condo produced 20 boxes of diapers. So big baby. I mean, clearly this person was operating some sort of daycare or they had like 12 kids because, I mean, it was amazing the amount of diapers there. But, um, you know, we haven't really come across anything too... um, in terms of materials, it's too crazy. So it's not like the stories where, you know, you hear, oh, they found, like, a body in the trash can. No, no. Like, from the dumpster people. And Mike's surprised you haven't found a body yet. Look at that. Look at the world he lives in. San Diego. It's yeah. Thankfully, place we haven't think. found any any bodies or body parts, no. That's, well, that's good. Yeah. So kind of talk about <coughs> the growth that you guys have been having and are continue to have you talking about branching in other markets. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way that have helped you guys run the business better and that you've maybe that you wish you would have knew at day one that would help yeah. you out? Um, you know, one of one of our kind of staples, even from day one, is that customer service is going to be the driving factor in your longevity as a business. And um, we're starting to see um, that come into fruition. We have a lot of customers who <clears throat> rave about our drivers, um, say they're really nice. You know, our, our drivers have a lot of face time with our customers um, maybe not as much on the apartment side, but on our small business side, they're walking in the front door, um, talking to a receptionist, talking to an office manager. Um, so it's really important that you know these people feel comfortable with our employees that are coming into their building, and that we're giving them a service that they like, and and you know they're comfortable using us. And um, you know we have a a lot of repeat customers. We get a lot of referrals. Um, and we rarely have a, a customer or a company say, hey, we're just not interested in this service anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're starting to see uh, a lot of, of companies start to give us more properties because they like, you know, they'll give us one property to start, say, hey, we'll see how you do. They love us. They say, all right, we're going to give you some more. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had 
some people not happy with their current provider and they come to us and, and they love us and they, they slowly take all the business from the other company and give them to us. So, you know, we really try to put the customer first, um, do whatever it takes to keep them happy and, and give them what they want. And what does that daily journey look like for the pickup individual from the point till they arrive to the point where they leave and they drop it off and they get rid of it for you guys? So typical day for our drivers, they, you know, they show up here, uh, clock in, grab their truck. Um, you know, depending on the day, they'll you know, usually have a good mixture of apartment collections and small business collections. Um, you know, the apartments, like I said, they might have an interaction with, you know, a leasing agent, something like that. But for the most part, they're just kind of autonomous on their own, um, you know, going door to door, grabbing the recycling, throwing the truck. Um, for our business customers, they may walk in a front door and um, grab some recycling from a kitchen space or a break room, or there may be just a separate warehouse area where they're just collecting a big bin. Um, and once they're done for the day, they take it down to the local uh, material recyclable facility, recovery facility, and uh, empty the truck, bring all the paperwork back to me, and start all over the next day. It's a good day. Hey, so yeah. I was wondering, you know, is there ever a point where, I, how much can one person handle? You know, so when you get a larger <laughs> complex, like how mm-hmm. many, how many trucks do you need to handle? You know, maybe your largest complex. Yeah. Um, we like to have two, at least two guys uh, doing our door-to-door apartment service. Um, <clears throat> it helps to have one guy driving the truck, one guy running the door. You know, bring the cans back, dump it in the truck. You know, one guy drives ahead. You know, fifty yards or whatever. Um, and those complexes usually take about an hour um, for us to complete depending on the size Um, so it just you know it kind of depends on how close together our customers are um, how big the communities are uh, and then how much really how much waste they're producing Um, we haven't yet gotten um, to a point where we're having to uh, you know fill up multiple trucks on one day um, but I think eventually we'll we'll be there. We'll either have to take the truck and empty it, or you know we'll have to bring in another truck. Mm-hmm. Has that been a struggle as a startup to kind of figure out that even medium and understanding everybody's <clears throat> workload? And have you had to work hand in hand with your drivers to kind of say, hey, if we're giving you too much, give us some pushback? Yeah, and you know most of, if not all of our our drivers are students, college students. So you know we've tried to work around their class schedule, and you know we. We try to match up driver one's class schedule with driver two's class schedule and match that with, you know, the customers that are supposed to be picked up that day. So it's a little bit of a juggling act, um, especially as we start to grow and, you know, you know, have our days are more full. But they've been, our drivers have been great. They're really flexible. Um, they work well with each other. So, you know, if somebody has a test coming up, they're really good about finding a sub and helping each other out awesome it sounds like logistically like is the most the logistics of the business is the most uh, difficult part to handle and juggle and stuff so do you have a, do you have any processes or any uh, suggestions for people out there who maybe have trouble with that sort of thing with their own businesses or wondering about that if they're looking to start a business don't get too far ahead of yourself um, you know we started small both from you know workforce standpoint and from a equipment standpoint standpoint I mean our first day we we're we we're driving a Ford f-150 picking up all the um, all the recycling now we have a, a 
10 yard truck with a compactor on it um, that you know weighs 15,000 pounds so um, you know as our business has grown our capacity our need for you know larger capacity truck has grown and we've added more drivers um, you just you can't get start moving too fast and, and get ahead of yourself and that's that's what I've learned and there's so many tools out now that can help you with kind of those logistical issues I mean we have a lot of computer software that helps us with the scheduling and you know helps us you know email the route to all of our drivers every day so you know they're not missing a customer um, if we get a new sign up it's it's automatically shot out to them so they know what's going on every day and then is it just, it almost seems like the constant iteration is what you have a really good focus on. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, don't get stuck on one particular thing and don't get married to that idea. Mm-hmm. You have to constantly keep evolving. Does that seem pretty accurate? Yeah, I mean, especially in the early stages, I mean, you should be changing. You should be evolving and growing. Um, if you get stuck in year five trying to do things you're, the way you're doing in year one, then you're going to operate like you were in year one. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to grow um, at the rate that you want to grow. And is a large part of that any feedback from your actual customers? Do you guys constantly try to get feedback from them? I guess a little bit. You know, at the end of the day, our customers just want their trash taken out. Um, <laughs> so from that standpoint, it's it's not too complicated. Your customers and me, dude, I can't get yeah. my trash. I think I'm going to have to hire you guys to take out the trash sometime. Give, give us a call. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, most of the stuff that we deal with is internal. Um you know, we, we may deal with some scheduling issues with, you know, certain hours that certain businesses are open, mm-hmm. but um, that's something that we have to figure out on our end. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, we, we don't want to, when we try to sell to our customer, we don't want them to tell us how to do it or, wh- or what to do, not because we don't want the advice, but that's not their job. They're, it's our job to figure out how to get it done. We want to make it as easy as possible on them. Um, you know, we're supposed to be the so-called experts on this. So we do all the hard work and, and building the plan, telling them the easiest way to get things done, and, and we'll, we'll handle it. You know, and I think probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm sure that your customers may not have the time to even think about, right. hey, what's the best way to deliver the trash? Right. And, you know, it's kind of like my dad. My dad used to fly planes, and he says, well, he still flies planes, and he always says, you know, I don't let the plumber fly the plane, and I don't fix the sink. Yeah. Although I think that just gets my mom more mad at him, <laughs> usually. But um, so, what what are your plans for moving forward? Do you have a vision of what Trash Cab could be? Or do you have do you yeah going with the flow? Um, you know, we have some some visions over the next twelve months. We think this is going to be our best year yet in terms of growth. Um, you know, we have a couple uh, customers who have eyes on new markets um, that they've expressed some interest in taking us with them into those new markets. So, uh, there's one outside of Columbus, but in Ohio that we're looking pretty heavily at. Um, and then there's a couple other outside of Ohio here in the Midwest um, that we think we could uh, move to here in the next 12 months. And what's really exciting is that we have an opportunity to move into those markets with a, a client in our back pocket. Uh, we're not going to be starting from scratch and trying to sell in a brand new city and um, new customer base. Um, we kind of have a little bit of a jump start, um, kind of get us going. Mm-hmm. And can you, are you comfortable talking numbers in terms of how much you guys have grown from year one till now in terms of like percentage wise? I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, from year one till our, our projections this year, I mean, I'd, I'd say 
25 times over. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And then what does that team split up look like? Like, what is your team currently now? How is the, how are the different divisions and all that? Yeah, so we started, um, I want to say we made our first hire in 2012. Um, we hired a part-time driver. Uh, later in 2013, we hired a, a part-time salesperson, um, and that lasted for a couple years. Um, and then about every year, we've been hiring one to two more drivers. And at the beginning of 2015, January 2015, we hired a full-time uh, sales lady um, who's been with us ever since. So now we're up to um, nine of us. Including Teddy and myself. Awesome. Yeah. You know, starting out from two, going to nine, and you guys are really moving quickly. So, um, are there any other directions you might be moving other than, you know, trash and recycling? I don't think so. You know, we along the way tinkered with uh, a few different things. We tinkered with composting. We tinkered with um, electronic waste, computers, and TVs, stuff like that. Um, and that's one thing, looking back, I probably wouldn't do again. You know, when you're not growing as quickly as you'd like, it's easy to start, you know, losing your focus and saying, oh, uh, maybe we need to try this or maybe we need to try doing this too. And, and you kind of lose focus on your core business. And um, unfortunately, we did that a little bit for about a year. We kind of lost focus on our core business. Um, but... You know, fortunately, we realized it soon enough, and we didn't put a ton of resources into it. And you know, we realized, hey, let's let's focus on the recycling. We'll do a little bit of valet trash, um, but we don't need to do all this other stuff. Um, let's focus on what we do best, and let's be the best at what we do. And talk about having the headquarters here in Columbus, and you're starting to branch off in other markets. Mm-hmm. As you look at those other markets, have you seen any advantages back on Columbus and, and that you see here that you're like, well, it's a great place, or have you seen any downsides where you're like, all right, so this has been a negative to us trying to grow here. This other market's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, are, any, are other markets more going green or per se or things like that? Um, I mean, anytime you get closer to the coast, um, you know, it's it's kind of a catch-22. You you'll get into communities or markets that are well ahead of Columbus in terms of going green and recycling. But with that comes other established companies who may have already gobbled up a big chunk of the market um, to offer those services. So, you know, in terms of Columbus, because, you know, there wasn't a lot of recycling going on in apartment communities, there also weren't any companies offering that service. So, you know, we kind of got in at the right time um, and being one of the first companies to offer that service. So, you know, now five years down the road, we're kind of the established brand of when when companies or apartment communities want to offer recycling, they know to call Trash Cab. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, this is kind of a question that maybe we should have asked earlier, but was helping the environment ever a part of, you know, the original plan? Or did that come as, you know, this is something customers want, recycling, and we can help the environment? this way i'd be lying if i said i'm like a, a big green tree hugger that's passionate about <laughs> you know i, I don't want to come off as uh like oh i hate the environment but um it didn't start with i'm huge on recycling i need to find a way to turn this into a business it was there's a need that that hasn't been met um there's an opportunity for us to fulfill that need um and the recycling and the you know 
going green and saving the earth is kind of a byproduct of that need. Um, and that's kind of, I've always felt that way about business. Um, you know, it's great if you have something that's you're passionate about and you can also turn that into a business. Um, but if you have something you're passionate about and it's nobody needs it and nobody wants it, then, you know, there's no, uh, it's not worth you putting your time and effort into trying to turn it into a business. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think the key is to find um, a product, a service, something that people need and want first. If it aligns with your passions, that's a bonus. Have you grown more passionate about this industry and things like that since you guys have started? Has it been something that you spend yourself reading on a Friday night about about the recycling industry? I mean, it, it definitely has opened my eyes to how much waste goes into our landfill that doesn't need to. I mean, we've, we've toured several recycling facilities, and just to see the amount of material that goes through there on a daily basis, I mean, mountains and mountains uh, of trash... Um, you know, 30 feet high on, a, on a, in one day, um, as big as a football field, 30 feet high, all recyclable. And, you know, that's probably 50% at best that's actually making it to that facility that could actually be recycled. So, um, again, it all comes down to education and, um, you know, really getting the message across of what can be recycled and then offering that service um, in a way that's easy and convenient for the end user. Um, Are there certain ways that you guys try to educate your different users? Um, you know, when we start a program, we always um, give out literature on what can be recycled. Um, we offer, like, recycling seminars um, to get the program started, and then we send out monthly newsletters to all our clients um, just with little recycling factoids and tidbits, and it may be, you know, if you recycle an aluminum can, you save enough energy to power your TV for a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or it might be a fact about, you know, the volume of recyclable materials that ends up in a landfill each year. Um, but just being able to put some of that, some of those statistics in context um, for our customers, I think, is key. Because mm-hmm. if you just say, oh, you know, recycling, you should recycle so it doesn't end up in the landfill, um, they say, oh, yeah, sure, sounds good. But if you really kind of put it in context so they realize the effect that it has on the environment, um, I think that's really when you kind of hook them in. Yeah, absolutely. And so do you have any other comments or advice for Columbus entrepreneurs out there that are looking, hey, they're looking around and saying, well, I just listened to this podcast and uh, these guys are out starting their own business. We should go do that. What, what, what would you say to them? Don't wait. You know, you always... You always hear, um, you know, oh, I, I wish I would have done this a long time ago. Um, you never hear somebody say, oh, I did this too early, or I, I should have waited to start my business. Um, so if you have an idea and you want to run with it, um, the more you wait, the, the less likely you are to actually, um, you know, execute that idea. So if you've, if you've got that idea, go for it. And has there ever been any point of regret or thinking back like, oh, man, did I make the wrong path or, or anything like that? Not yet. I mean, there was, you know, the first couple of years when we're growing slowly, it's, you know, there's some nervous times and some sleepless nights. But, um, you know, if you didn't have that, then, you know, you're in it for the wrong reasons. So. Um, and did you have family buy-in too as well? I mean, 
did everybody else, was everybody else on board and ready to go forward with that when you yeah. said, hey, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to... Yeah, my wife was really supportive. Um, again, I, I had great support from my partner and, and his family. Um, I think everybody was on the same page as, in terms of kind of what was expected and, mm-hmm. and what the vision of the company would be. So, um, you know, all in all, it's been good. That's awesome. And kind of one last final question that I really am curious about. What has been the coolest part so far of you being able to step back? Was it seeing your um, logo somewhere on something or the coolest part of saying, man, like, I'm really glad that this happened. This is awesome. Yeah. um, Driving into an apartment community with 450 apartments and seeing a bin with your logo on the front doorstep of every single apartment <laughs> is a pretty cool feeling. That's awesome. Um, knowing that every day you have, you know, 450 apartments, you're probably looking at 700, 750 people. They're looking at your logo every single day. It's pretty cool. That's, I think that's a really good place to end. Yeah. And uh, I'm Josh, I'm going to kick it over to you. If you got any recap, unless, Brendan, you have anything last to add you want to say to the people of Columbus? No, just thank you guys for having me. Uh, if you guys live in an apartment community, call Trash Cab. We'll recycle for you. Definitely. Yeah, I think that was an awesome episode. I think a lot of cool key takeaways from that, especially just not waiting and then not not thinking that you have to follow your passion, but then allowing your passion to follow you and just bringing passion with you wherever you go, which is something that, you know, one of your good friends, Tommy, had said on his episode too. You know, I mean, you can talk to that guy about a tomato and you think it's like a pot of gold, you know. So I think that's a really cool concept and a cool philosophy and just following your dreams and then just saying, you know, whatever happens, happens. And then also just the constant evolving iteration of a startup business into something that's sustainable. And then just following what works and not being scared to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. And, you know, I thought I saw another common theme that a lot of people brought up before, which was listening to your customers. Mm-hmm. You know, we hear pretty much everyone who starts their own business has told us, hey, listen to your customers. Yep. All right, Conquerors, that's the end of the show today. We hope you enjoyed our time with Brennan. And we hope you learned something about recycling. If you enjoyed that episode, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Rate us on iTunes. Check us out on Facebook. Uh, follow us on all our social media. That'll make sure you never miss an episode. Before we let you go, though, we want to give one last shout out to all of our amazing sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH and all the cool things they do, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. And I want to give a shout out to another one of our supporters, Max Effort Muscle. For those of you guys who aren't familiar with Max Effort Muscle, They're a nutritional supplement company that just recently launched, supplier of cutting-edge nutritional supplements. Some of their current products include pre-workout, post-workout, and fat burner. Uh, Mike and I just recently started using the pre-workout, and it's awesome. Best thing is, they're supplements with ingredients you can understand. Nothing's hidden behind some proprietary blend, and you don't know what's in it. Not to mention the company was started and is run by some local Central Ohio athletes that Mike and I know very well, and uh, we can trust to deliver high-quality product aimed at providing value rather than just making a buck, which is really hard to find in the supplement industry these days. And if you want to find out more about the company, the team behind it, the store behind the company, which is pretty cool, or their offerings, check out MaxEffortMuscle.com. Our final shout-out of the day goes out to Procure Clean. Procure Clean, the official disinfectant deodorizer for USA Wrestling, is a chlorine dioxide product and has quickly become the leading disinfectant on the market. 
Uh, they got a patented drop and go system and allows users just to add water and place it on whatever they want to disinfect for 30 seconds to eliminate everything from MRSA, staff, and ringworm, Tampatigo and herpes, just to name a few. Procure Clean leaves no chemical footprint, is eco-friendly, and food grade safe. The only preventable injury in sports is a skin ailment, so let Procure Clean keep your facilities clean and your athletes in their sport. If you want to learn more about Procure Clean, please contact sales at procureclean.com. That's P-R-O-K-U-R-K-L-E-A-N.com, which will be linked in the show notes. And tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. All right, Conquerors, that's the end of episode 30. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.